listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 101 and 102 of our Read Through the Bible in a Year program. Mm -hmm. Of course, our program is centering around the oral tradition. So we're glad you're listening because listening is really the primary prayer of God's people. Hear, O Israel, hear, O church, that your God is one God. Hmm. All-powerful, all-loving, and all-saving for those who can believe it, who can hear it. I love how we begin by a passive, our our first response, or our first thing to do is, as the people of God is to listen. So let's give them something to listen to, Matt. All right. So much good stuff today in the book of Deuteronomy. Our Old Testament reading for today is Deuteronomy chapter 15 through chapter 18. One of our favorite passages uh, has become one of our favorite ideas and themes as we are reconnecting to what it means to be the people of God is this idea of rest, the seventh day of rest. God does not ask his people to worship work and just put all of our eggs in the basket of what we can produce, of uh, what others can do for us, mm-hmm. of always hustling. There are six days where we get to be creative and solve problems and work and have meaning and purpose in our lives. But there's one day where we just rest and we recognize, we gather around the word of God and the word of God is the promise of God to take care of his kids, to deliver them from slavery, bring them into uh, places with pleasant boundaries where they can just rest around his promises and the fact that he keeps all those promises. So look around. And that's why we gather every week to worship, to give praises to the God who really blesses the work of our hands, the ideas that are buried deep in our hearts, he brings to fruition because he is the God of all gods. He's the God of all of this. So everything on earth is his creation, which he has created to gift to his kids. So yeah, chapter 15 (laughs) is a reminder of Including the Sabbath day, you are supposed to take a Sabbath year. Yes. The seventh year, you're going to take the whole year off. You're going to release everyone from debt, like Mm -hmm. any of your own people. You are going to give them all their money back. Like you're going to cancel all debts. Like the foreigners, you can still charge them, but any of your own brothers and sisters, debts are canceled. Slaves are set free. Like is a total economic reset. You do not work the land. You provide for everyone. Everyone gets their land back. Yep. It's all restored and reset. And there will be, similar to what happens in the book of Acts, there will be no poor among you. Mm -hmm. Like each of you in your own tribe, you release the debts, you provide. And the reason you can do that is because God has released you from your debts. Mm -hmm. There's also a line in there about don't borrow from other nations. Right. Or they will rule over you. And that the... um, the lender becomes the master over the borrower is a real theme that God says you don't need to operate by those rules. The rules of this world no longer apply to you uh, when you're under my reign and rule. And so it goes through and I just, I would just long for the day where we all as the people of God would have the nerve just to take off one year Every seven years, the seventh year, we just take it off and trust the Lord to, to provide for us. Mm-hmm. Now, I know it's uh, the initial idea is for the actual 
Israelites as they are a nation going in, taking the land. And I wonder what would have happened because history suggests that they never kept this. They never were able to pull this off, not once. I know. For a whole year. They just never did it. It does crush me. But I understand why, because the same reason none of us would do it feel like it's impossible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We feel like it's impossible now. And so, um, and we actually have a lot of money and a lot of resources to do something like this. But we feel more secure with what's in our bank than we do with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who reigns at the right hand of God the Father and in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And so that might crush you a little bit today, but don't worry. That causes us to repent and say, God, begin to work these ideas of Sabbath rest into my life. Mm -hmm. And he is faithful and just, and he will, and he forgives you. But the idea is love your brothers and sisters, love the people, and rest in God, lead others into rest. And that's what the gospel is, good news. Mm-hmm. Receive and then give. Yeah, and then he tags on, and I just thought it was cool, uh, about the, he, he's like reiterating, remember the firstborn mm-hmm. males of all your animals belong to me. Yes. All of them belong to me. Don't forget that. Remember to bring them to the place the Lord will set up, yeah. and you will eat a meal with your family in front of the Lord with them. And then also, if there's any firstborn that are blemished, uh, you don't bring them before the Lord, but you still make a meal out of them uh, and eat them with your family in your towns. And, f- and feed that food to the widows, the orphans, and those mm-hmm. who sojourn among you. Yeah. God is always concerned about neighbors. Well, he sets up. He wants us to remember to rest, and so he sets up three feasts every mm-hmm. year. And at each, without going into all the details, the three feasts are Passover, which is take seven days off, and this is to remember the bread of your affliction, that you left Egypt, and that this bread you ate when you left was unleavened, because there mm-hmm. was not time for the bread to properly leaven. And so eat this bread and remember that the Lord your God brought you out of slavery. And so come celebrate Passover. Then there was the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost. So after you, the first little harvest, because, you know, harvesting doesn't always happen in one day or even in one week, but it begins a season of harvesting. So at the very first harvest, the sickle, the first time the sickle cuts down some grain or whatever, you then have another feast and it's... um, 50 days. It, it continues, yes, seven weeks from the first harvest. Yeah. So you bring a free will offering and rejoice and make sure that everyone eats. Remember, you're a slave. And again, at each of these, God is saying, do it at the place I choose, in the place where my name dwells. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And then the last one is the Feast of Booths, that once you have gathered all the pro- produce, kind of after Pentecost, mm-hmm. it's seven days of rejoicing where you feed everyone and... Um, and God will bless, this is to say, God will bless the work of your hands. So God has saved you and, and saved you from slavery at Passover. He has uh, given you everything you need in the wilderness. So mm-hmm. you celebrate the harvest. And then the last one is you celebrate the fact that he will allow the work of your hands to continue to produce to the point of abundance. Mm-hmm. So three times a year, all the males would appear before the Lord, not empty-handed, and you would give these things to God as he has given to you. And what I find fascinating is when Jesus sets up the Lord's Supper, he becomes the Passover meal, mm-hmm. the, the, the Pentecost meal, 
and the Feast of Booths meal. So now Jesus breaks his body. He says, this is my body broken for you. I am the bread of affliction. Right. And I am the bread of harvest. I'm the firstborn among many. Mm -hmm. And I am the bread of life, which will continue to produce an abundance in you. So now instead of three times a year, do this as often as you gather. I like that. Yeah, that's All right, pretty that, awesome. That was my thing on there. And uh, that's Deuteronomy chapter 16, uh, I think verses 1 through 18. But yep. then at the end of 16... Yeah, he does. He uh, talks about judges and officers and how they shall uh, rule and what justice is supposed to look like. And again, it's like just very fair. Like God's very concerned with how the rulers are going to rule over his people. No partiality. Don't take bribes. No favoritism. Like, we're going to keep this good because the Lord is going to give this land to you and you're going to rule it right. Right, and and you reflect God. Mm-hmm. And God is just. Mm-hmm. He is not excited about bribery and partiality and unfair deaths or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of that, he's like, just remember that God is for us, to help us. Mm-hmm. And so love him with all your heart. Love the people the way he does. Like, don't let go. Hang on. So even if you mess up, repent and hang on to his ways because he is a just and honest judge, <clears throat> and so you will be as well. And Chat. then uh, in 17, he talks about, he reiterates the uh, forbidden practices, the forbidden worship practices right. that the Canaanites are all uh, practicing. He's like, you will not be like these. You will not worship their gods. You will not do the things that they do to manipulate their gods, to tell the future. You don't need to do those things because the Lord your God is with you, and he's taking care of you, and you don't need to know the future. And if you do, I will tell you. See, I think the biggest temptation we face is the temptation of feeling like we are all alone. Mm -hmm. And Because when you start feeling like you're all alone, you have to make agreements and do what needs to be done. Right. Like, I got to just hustle. And God is constantly saying, you're not alone. Don't try to intermingle their practices because their practices are full of death mm-hmm. and only death and only to lead you back into slavery. So do not forget this. Wipe out all the altars. And then if anyone does practice any of this, you're going to put them to death. Yeah. Now, to put them to death, you needed two or more witnesses. And those witnesses had to be directly involved in putting them to death into the execution. Yeah. Uh, so there's no like anonymous witness. Yeah. Like, it's not like, uh, you are actually going to, yeah, you think about, well, we'll get there, but when they crucified Jesus, right. they couldn't get two witnesses. They couldn't get two witnesses. And so they, and I, all the bogus witnesses, they mm-hmm. were making up bogus things. Those people were not going to actually have to kill Jesus. Mm-hmm. They were just trying to get the Romans to kill Jesus. Right. Which again, goes against the law, like their they're, own law. They're not taking it seriously. Yeah, they. Yeah, like reading this because it even says like, uh, no one shall be put to death um, on the evidence of one witness. Right. And like recognizing like Jesus was totally put to death that way, and the witnesses were not even the ones putting him to death. No. So that sets up two amazing prophecies. You know, I don't know. When I was growing up, I was always trying to think about. Where does the Bible say, talk about Jesus? And I tried to find very specific things mm-hmm. and really, or talk about Jesus and the prophecy of who he's going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and I just don't remember ever hearing these 
in chapter 17 and 18 used because they're so right. powerful. But God actually says, and Moses says in verse 14 of chapter 17, here's, here's the deal with a king. Mm-hmm. We know you're going to want a king because, because of all the nations. They have a king. They want a king that they can see. Well, when I allow you to set up a king, here are the very, it's like five basic rules. Yes. It's very easy. These are the negative rules. First of all, don't choose him yourself. God mm-hmm. will choose the king. Second, make sure the king doesn't acquire many horses. So don't allow him to, I think that's code also for a massive army. Yes, and totally. Enlisting all army. the sons. Don't go back to Egypt to get more stuff. Right. Because Egypt is always going to be a place where it's like the, um, the Costco or the, the Sam's Club. Like, don't go back there because you think you can get a bunch of stuff from them. You're, yeah. you're done with Egypt. Yeah. Don't ever go back. That's three. Number four says don't acquire many wives mm-hmm. because those wives are all going to be... And what he's saying there is don't make deals with other nations by marrying their daughters because they'll bring in their other gods. Correct. Which is what we see pan out. We see that happen. And then number five was... Pretty quickly. Don't get rich. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't try to amass a bunch of wealth for yourself. Oh, and then there's another one. What's that? I missed one? Uh, yeah. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy oh. of this law approved by the Levitical priests. Well, this was my... Um, yeah, those were the negatives. Don't do. Now, the oh, positives... Okay. Oh, I have okay, my okay. positive okay. list. Okay, cool. Which is... So, the king of Israel mm-hmm. that you elect or choose, that God will choose for you is to write... Yeah, to write the law. Like... I feel like it's like hand write it down. Yeah, I think so. Learn it. Make sure it's approved by the priests who handle it. Mm-hmm. Keep it close to you. Read it daily. Learn to fear the Lord and obey it. So at a minimum, there's one person who, and actually he even quotes, Moses says, remember when you heard God's voice and you asked, or no, that's that's later. That's later, sorry. Um, but so this is what the king is supposed to be. He should mm-hmm. be uh, always doing what the word of God says. And then what you realize is every king, especially throughout the ages, consider themselves a mediator between God and man, mm-hmm. but they would make their own laws. So whatever seems right to them, they would do. Right. God is saying, you're kings. The main difference is you're going to announce the word of God. You are not lawmakers, but you are law keepers. Yes. Because the perfect law has come down and laws are there to love God and to love your neighbor. And so your only job as a king of Israel is to announce God's law. That's it. Israel's king is all about the word of God. So it's no surprise when Jesus shows up, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus says things like, I only say what my father has told me to say. Correct. I only do what my father, the father and I are one. I am here only. I have written the word of God on your heart. I will change your heart and give you the Holy Spirit so that you can have this word in mm-hmm. your heart. Like, this is, this is what it's about. And Jesus doesn't use... I mean, think about the power he had. Yeah. He could have influenced people with his power to do whatever he wanted. But he's all about the Father, which makes him, by the way, the mark. Now we look at that and we look at Deuteronomy and go, Jesus truly was and is the king. Yeah, the God's perfect people. king. He's the perfect king. He was king. chosen by God. This is my son. Listen yep. to him. Uh, nice. Uh, he was not a foreigner. He's uh, among the brothers. He's among the brothers. He did not acquire many horses. No, in fact, at the end of it, he's like, uh, foxes have holes, birds have nests, yeah. but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, 
the most, he borrowed a donkey for a day. Right. Uh, borrowed an upper room. And then he uh, never acquired any wives. Right. He didn't mm. never uh, got excessive gold or silver. No. He, from an early childhood, knew the law of God better than the Pharisees or the religious, the rabbis. Yeah. Um, read it, kept it in his heart. Like This is a pivotal... This is this, pretty great. This is a pivotal chapter because um, after Deuteronomy, we're going to be following the histories and the, the chronicles of God's people. And it's important to look back to chapter 17 and remember. So every king that we read about, mm-hmm. remember how far they've wandered and gone astray from what the king was supposed to be. Right. And we were even talking, and we'll, we'll talk more about it as we get to the life of David. But David... The only thing he has, really, is he knows God's word enough, so he writes a lot of psalms, but it's really his heart. Yeah. His heart is holding him on to God. He has a, he's a man after God's own heart. So I'm starting to see how gracious is God to allow the people of God, when they elect and submit to kings who are not just not keeping these things and failing like in an unintentional way, but intentionally breaking yeah. the four or five things God said you need to be as a king. Right. So God is ridiculously gracious. But we got to go on. So that's and king. Then, and then we have, the in chapter 18, it's the beginning uh, where he's like, again, you're going to take care of your priests and the Levites because they're serving you. Yes. So remember, you're going to give them the thigh, the... The stomach, the shoulder, like that's those are things for them. If every sacrifice, the first fruits, that's for them because they are ministering for you. Remember that. They're ministering between well, you and, and you God. know what ministering means? Uh like it's like deacon service, service. but ministry is wait on. So oh, literally nice. the uh the the Levitical priesthood mm-hmm. is waiting on the people of God. Almost like think of a waiter. Like you're um you're, you're feeding them the word of God. You're representing and mediating God. Mm-hmm. He's, God's in the kitchen having good things for you to eat. And there's even choices. And so the job of the priest is to wait on and make sure the water glasses are full, make sure the plates are there. Like if you think in terms of a meal, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And so you got to take care of them. Take care of them. I mean, and they are like most of the religious festivals and things that they yeah. were doing require food so they kind of were just waiters. and so take care of these people take care and then you know you carry it out to the new testament take care of those who feed you the word of god your ministers your pastors um don't let them starve then he runs through again because again he's like just to make sure mm-hmm. uh do not do these things uh do not act like the people that you're about to go to do not be a sorcerer a charmer a medium a necromancer one who inquires of the dead like, do not do these things. And, and I'm going to send you people to serve you, but I'm also mm-hmm. going to send the voice of God. This is where now Moses, another, another pivotal passage mm-hmm. in, the, in the, the Pentateuch, which is, here's what the prophet, I've been a prophet to you. I've been a mediator, yes. mediating the words of God, I being Moses. There is, it's in verse 15 of chapter 18, there is... A new, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day the assembly, at the assembly when you said, let me not hear the voice of God again, it's too great, lest I die. And so 
he's raising up a prophet. He even uses the word, listen to him, mm-hmm. which we know in the Mount of Transfiguration and at Bab- oh, there especially, God says, this is my son, listen, listen to, to him. him. Yeah, That should be a throwback immediately to Moses said this would happen. Yeah, And throughout the history, there's been no other prophets raised up. That's why they always think, is it Elijah? Mm-hmm. But Jesus is the better prophet. And so I don't know if you have anything else you want to say. There's so much to say about well, this. But I mean, what's really cool is we haven't gotten there yet, but in Acts, Peter actually mm-hmm. quotes this passage from Deuteronomy and refers to it as this was talking about Christ. Yeah, He was the prophet raised up and you've put him to death like you did all the other prophets. Well, that leads into what to do with a false prophet, mm-hmm. which shows, again, the stubbornness of our hearts to receive what God has in exchange mm-hmm. for what we think we can get on our own. And uh, the the idea of a of real prophet, well, the difference between a false prophet and a real prophet is if what he says, first and foremost, is according to the word of God, so it's not contrary to the mm-hmm. word of God, and then it comes true. So if that happens, you obey, listen. If a prophet comes along and says something contrary, don't, don't trust him, but then if he says things will happen and they don't happen, uh, it says, don't be afraid. Yeah. And at first you read that and you go, well, why would they, they're not afraid of him? Well, don't be afraid to put him to death. Right. Because he's leading you from, and that's what we've already established, when people in the camp are leading you away from God, you get them out. And so don't be afraid to put him to death. And that just makes me even think, again, you think about Jesus, the prophet, and even John, he says, how do we know you're the one? I've raised people from the dead. I'm yeah, giving look, re- all the things I've said have come to happen. Like- the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, demons are cast out in my name. I'm proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. And yet the people of God put Jesus to death. Can you imagine? Like yeah. they did it, they were not afraid to put him to death. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I can think of at this point in my life is he was challenging their authority and yes. their power because they felt like they had the words of God and they were uh, handling all this. And so they weren't afraid to kill the one true prophet. Okay. Uh, yeah, which That's... then perfectly leads into our New Testament passage. Wow, so that's the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. man. So I just want to say at the end of it, Jesus is the Passover. He's the Feast of Pentecost. He's the Feast of Booths. He says, do this as often as you can to get, as you get together. Remember where I've brought you from. Remember who you are. And then Jesus is the, indeed, the the prophet Mm -hmm. who never dies. He Mm -hmm. is the king who never dies. And later we'll know he's the priest who not only um, offers sacrifices, but becomes a sacrifice. Mm, Don't forget. Let's go into our New Testament. It's so good. Uh, Our New Testament reading is Luke chapter 13, verse 31 through chapter 14. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's on his way, some Pharisees actually show up and say, Surprise! Uh... Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. I know, it's so fascinating. So it's interesting, because at first you're like, wait, I thought the Pharisees, why are they trying to do that? But there were some Pharisees that liked Jesus and sided with Jesus. Um, Trying to see what's going on. They know enough. They know enough. And so there were some that were for him. Uh, And we should say, you know, we're... 
a lot of times you're talking about these ancient texts, you're mm-hmm. generalizing people under their leadership. Correct. So like the same way we do, mm-hmm. like with North Korea, we generalize right. the people under their leader mm-hmm. or America or, you know, and so we're generalizing all Pharisees. There were some Pharisees who were definitely considering and confused at a minimum about mm-hmm. what's really going on. Right. So that's good to know. And uh, I love Jesus's responses. Go, go and tell that fox. I know. <laughs> Calls Herod a fox, which is great. Behold, I cast out demons, perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Mm. So Jerusalem became the place where prophets were killed. killed. Also, I liked, I don't want to miss, (laughs) referring to like this professional dictator politician as a fox and just thinking about how fox is always escaping Mm -hmm. or breaking into the chicken coop. Yes. And then stealing the baby chickens or whatever and and figuring things out. Yes, 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 yes. Right. And so it's not an accident that Jesus says Jerusalem is the place that kills the prophets but the prophets are sent to Jerusalem because mm-hmm. it bears the name of God and the place where God is chosen to do the things of God. The prophets go there and you kill them because it makes no sense. You don't have ears to hear it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, following that fox analogy, mm-hmm. he does say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. So Jesus is trying to gather them under his wings. wings. Have you ever seen that happen? A uh, chicken yes. protect the little mm-hmm. chicks? It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I saw it when I was in Guatemala. I saw it started to rain. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, yeah. and they all started to, and the chicks came and gathered un, under the mom. It was very loving and kind. And that's what Jesus is trying to do from the foxes like Herod. Yes. And they refuse to get under the wings and kill all those who are trying to protect them. And, and then he references, look, I'm going to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and you won't hear from me again until you hear people saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, so he's talking about Palm Sunday, when yeah. he comes into Jerusalem, finally. And again, the expectation is military victory for people, but um, it's something different. I, and then he also does drop, behold, your house is forsaken. Oh, yeah. Which, for me, is always... Again, like when Jesus uses the story about um, when someone uh, is exercised from a demon and the demon goes out and then comes back to find the person and their house, they're like empty and clean and in order. They bring seven more, worse than before. Like that's what he's telling Jerusalem. He's like, I'm casting the demons out. That's what he said earlier. He's like, I cast the demons out from you. You are a clean, empty house, but the house is forsaken because you refuse to fill it with the Holy Spirit. And destruction is going to come upon you. And it's really an act of grace because Jesus is not closing the door on them. Mm -hmm. He's announcing to them, Mm -hmm. this is open for you first. Mm -hmm. You're the people who get get this first. Don't miss it. Then chapter 14. Yeah, we have another Sabbath day healing. Mm -hmm. So we had earlier the woman who was bent over, Mm -hmm. who was bound up. By I love what Jesus is doing here. Like he keeps he keeps using like little puns or like object lessons. And so before the lady was bound up and he said, Wouldn't you untie your your animal, your oxen to go get water? Right. And so this one, this person has dropsy, which is um basically almost like gout where uh, okay. 
you have fluid in your legs, um, or you just your body, your fat starts to store fluid and doesn't drain it properly. And so he again asks the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And yeah. no one answers. No one can answer. No one wants to say yes or no. They just want to see what he does because they want him to heal so then they can say he worked on the Sabbath. Yeah. And then he heals the man who had water built up and he says, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? So a, a son or an ox that's drowning in a well. Yeah, you save him. You save him. So this man was drowning in his own fluids. Of course, on the Sabbath, I'm going to save him and that's, pull him out of the well in his own body. That's pretty great. That's a good find. Yeah. Of course, they could not reply to these things because the Sabbath is the day where you gather around and remember the salvation of the Lord. And so certainly you're allowed to be saved on that day yeah. as well and be healed. In fact, that would be the natural expectation that we'd want to have mm-hmm. in coming to worship God. So after that, Jesus goes on to kind of further, I think, oh, uh, illustrate. Uh, yeah, I forgot. He's in the house of a Pharisee, a yeah. ruler of a Pharisee doing these things. And so now he's talking about a parable, which uh, we've heard before in the other Gospels. But, um, but I think... For me, it became a little clearer today where uh, you're invited by someone to a wedding feast. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is there's two wedding feasts going on. Yes. This first one, though, is um, don't take a seat closer. So there's places of honor, you know, yes. like front row seats. Mm-hmm. Don't take the front row seat when you know there are other people who are going to have those seats. Mm-hmm. And we've all done that at a game. You know, you sneak down. I usually wait. Well, in fact, just out of pure... Um, not being silly, I go, I have my cheap seats. You mm-hmm. always sit in the cheap seats first. You watch, you scout it out, and by halftime, you've noticed there's a couple seats down front row, the $100 seats. At halftime, you try to weasel your way into that. <laughs> and Jesus says, yeah, that's kind of how the world works, and that's how you work as followers of me. Take your seat in humility. It's always better to be asked to move forward than it is to be asked to go back to your cheap seat. Yeah. Seriously. And, and so he's saying, look, you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. You humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Mm-hmm. And he's going to directly against the, um, the movement of Pharisees who are always exalting themselves. Right. And thinking, if I exalt myself, I'll be exalted. No, you only get exalted by God. Then he continues to slam the Pharisees yes. as he's looking around at this very real banquet that he's at right now in this Pharisee's house. And he's looking around. He says, uh, when you give a dinner or a banquet... Don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you are repaid. He says, instead, invite the poor people, the people who could never repay you and invite you to their own homes because they don't have ones. And, and then God will repay you. And that hurts. And you think about yourself, you know, who you invite over and you have strategic meals and mm-hmm. you're trying to make connections with people to build your thing, whatever it is. And so this is, again, a counterintuitive to the way the world works, but this is the way the world of God works. The kingdom mm-hmm. of God works this way. You invite those who have nothing to give you back because that's who you are. Right. And then he follows it up with the a parable of the great banquet. And this is what uh, I felt like a little bit enlightened today mm-hmm. was there's two part. There's a two-parter. You get the invitation. Hey, we're going to have a great banquet 
at my house. I'm going to provide everything for you in a month. Right. Can you make it? People said yes. Yes, I can. So this parable says they said yes mm-hmm. when the food is ready. Right. So you know, this day set apart, you said yes to the invitation. It's now a month, It's a month from now. Now that day comes and you send out your, your servant to go summons everybody. The food is ready. Ooh, I have uh, some things to do today. But you said yes to the invitation. Yeah, I know. I have a table setting for 500. Ah, uh, but I just bought this land. I spent a lot of money, Matt. Yeah, but uh, my... I, I gotta I gotta tend to this land. I haven't completed the sale yet. You okay, know, you know going, how it is. Hey, master, uh, I like this. We're gonna start acting things out. Um, <laughs> exactly. They have. Uh, there's a multitude of excuses. I just and, got married. Yeah. There's. I mean, and then there's one guy who's checking out his ten pair of oxen, which is ridiculous for a farm. Like, yeah. you're already a wealthy man. You don't need to. Yeah. Be doing most it. farms would only need one pair. It's it's an excuse. So mm-hmm. people have excuses to not go. The food is ready. And so mm-hmm. the master says, call the the beggars. Call the lame, call all the outcasts. I even outside of this village because my house, there's so much room and I have so much food. The food will go bad. Yeah. It is for anyone who will come. Go out and call everyone. Mm-hmm. And so what this is saying to the Pharisees is the dinner's ready and you're rejecting it. Yes. Which means you're not going to share in the banquet. Mm-hmm. Whether you had an invitation and received the invitation or not, it's when it's ready, you eat it. If, if you don't come when it's ready, you don't eat. And they get it. They're like, oh, I see what you're saying here. Also, he's saying that um, I'm calling people who don't deserve it. I'm yeah. calling people outside of the house of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, wrap your brain around that. <laughs> and then he finishes, like, you'll never, even though you were invited, you shall never taste, you'll, none of them will taste of my banquet. Which, again, we're talking about the Passover, we're talking about feasts. Of weeks, feast of a booth. Right. We're talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, the good news in all this is Christ hasn't had this full meal yet. So, as the invitation and the summons is now, mm-hmm. come and eat of it now. Taste and see that the Lord is good today. So then, I think he handles the he handles the Pharisees. Now he turns to his disciples and says, um, gets very clear. I mean, he's like. He doesn't even mince words. Hate your own parents and your your own children, your own brothers and sisters, even your own life. Pick up your cross and follow me. Like he he's saying, the cost of discipleship is not that we're cruel or that we hate these right. these gifts of God and relationships, but that you count nothing is higher than following Christ. Right. And to the point where, and then he uses the line. Um, you know, if you're going to build something, you would count the cost. Do I have mm-hmm. the money to do this? Can I do this? Mm-hmm. If you're going to go to war, a king is going to count the cost. Like, here's what we can afford to lose. You need to do the same thing. Like, ask yourself, are you going to be able to renounce all the things, all the comfort, all the money, all the way... Uh, all, all the relationships. Are you willing to yes. let go of that and follow me? Mm-hmm. Because if you're not, you can't be my disciple. Which I, I think is hard... It's very hard. This it's, is where I wrote in my own personal notes, God help me. Right. Because it's almost impossible. It is impossible. But like I, I think about it today and we have such a strong focus on family. Oh, yeah. And youth soccer is, uh, that's the cost of discipleship now. Like you have, like just getting my kids into a real soccer league, I ended up not doing it. 
Yeah. Because the cost was too high. Mm-hmm. It was going to be every weekend. Like this was going to be my new church family and, and it was going to be all about soccer. And I said, no, well, maybe I lost, maybe my kids lose opportunity. Maybe they lose a lot of le- lessons, but I chose, no, we go to church. I can't right. give up every Sunday. Right. Well, that would be a very, that's, I don't consider that hard, but in our day it is hard. Yeah. Um, I have lost friends because I believe in Jesus and yeah, it, it makes them feel bad. I have yeah. lost even the way I use my time now. And especially in ministry, you think about my money situation is all up to the rest of the tribes <laughs> thinking I'm actually, am I actually giving the word of God and are they actually going to obey and, and right. give tithes and offerings so that I can make a living? Like, so I've given up some things, but still I read this and I feel, oh, yeah. I battle shame and guilt. And that's where I go to God in repentance and know that, Lord, know my heart. And mm-hmm. there, are some, there are many things I haven't given up yet to follow you. Forgive me. And, I, and this is where I receive the gospel and go, thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling it today and you hear me talking right now, just know God knows where you're at, but there is cost. So that moment when it burns a little bit, realize you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. Now, whether you're successful or not, just keep on the track. Right. And be willing to walk through some burn over the course of your life because the cost is high, but the reward is higher. Yes. And, and then at the end of this, Jesus throws in the uh, salt without taste is worthless. And I immediately think of my friend Matt Fitzpatrick. You might know him. Who? That's you. Oh. This guy, every time we eat, he uh, is like so thirsty for salt. Well, yeah. You add salt to everything, yeah. which I understand why now, because my yeah. wife is an amazing cook, mm-hmm. and she's informed me that salt, when it's good, mm-hmm. brings out the actual flavor of the thing you're salting. Correct. So a tomato tastes more like a tomato mm-hmm. with some salt. Mm-hmm. But if the salt's bad, it becomes corrosive and harmful. And so, mm-hmm. again, I think Jesus is saying, you guys, and I, I found that salt is, tell me what you think. I think when he says, uh, you are the salt of the earth, or we are salt, mm-hmm. it's talking about our faith is salt. Right. So you having faith that God is going to provide, you having faith that Jesus loves you, he rose from the dead, it adds flavor to life. Yes. Like it adds what uh, flavor to humanity. We were mm-hmm. created to walk with God. We were created to have faith and not lose hope. We were created to walk through death. And so our faith adds salt to everything we touch and wherever we go. But the Pharisees have lost their saltiness mm-hmm. and they've become corrosive. So when you lose faith, but you're still using the name of God, get out of the way. Mm-hmm. You're just going to hurt people. Right. That's and, no longer any good for anything. And that's where you see legalism takes away the flavor of life when we're all rules oh, and good, I deserve good, good things yeah, or I yeah. deserve bad things. Even when you're trying to be holy under legalism, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, bad things happen because I sinned. It's like, well, uh, yeah, yeah, that's going to take out the flavor of life. <laughs> what needs to happen is, yes, bad things happen because you're in a condition of sin. Right. And salt's going to restore the flavor of the burnt little toast of your life. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, I love that. So people of faith, we are the ones, we get to eat the good food at the banquet that's going to be salted, and we get to go out and bring flavor to the world everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jesus. I love it. Ooh. That was nice. All right, so our psalm for today is Psalm 44. I'm just going to read the first part. It's, again, another psalm of Korah. 
So from the Sons of Korah. Those guys really turned it around. Yeah. Here we go. Oh God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us, what deeds you performed in their days. In the days of old, you with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did they own nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm, and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes, through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes, and you have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Wow. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We will talk to you again on day 104.